So I do think this is an important hot topic to talk about. When Dustin said he was doing this hot topic series, I definitely wanted to get in to have this conversation because I think it's important. And I think a lot of people don't want to talk about it. Um, and honestly, it's a little awkward for me. Like I said, I'm pretty comfortable, but it's awkward for me because I have to tell people that I'm black first. Um, most people, I would have people raise their hands, but maybe, maybe that's too controversial on whether, whether or not people knew I was black when I walked up here. Um, but so it's kind of awkward for me because I feel like I have to tell people that I'm black to really have an opinion, to really say something in this. But then I also have to say, well, I know I'm not that black, but, and so it is, it can be an uncomfortable conversation, but the way that I approach it of not having the answers makes it more comfortable for me. Like, I'm not trying to go in and tell you uh, what's right or what's wrong. I just, let's have this conversation. Um, so my second open, I'm gonna give you guys some free points. I need to, I just need to lay some groundwork before we actually get into this. Um, so you gotta hang with me for a little bit, but um, the first one, my first, I have three different free points. The first one is diversity is important. I'm, gonna th I'm just gonna do that quick because I think you guys all understand that. I think your generation gets this better than any generation that's ever before. Um, but I will give my one sports reference in this. A uh, team is made up of different people, different positions, right? You have to have all of the different positions. If everybody was trying to be like the quarterback, nobody would block for him, no one could catch, and who's gonna play defense, right? So we have to, we have to have our, bring our unique differences to the table, um, and we have to be different. So I think you guys understand that. I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on that, but diversity is important. So in case you're wondering, yes, it is. Uh, second free point is, if you're looking for racism, you will find it. If you aren't looking, you won't. So if you, and I have, I have a friend like this who she sees, she sees racism everywhere. She's black and she thinks that everything bad that's ever to happen to her is because she's black. She'll have a checkout, a cashier at Target be rude to her. She says, it's because I'm black. And I'm like, well, maybe they just had a bad day. Or maybe you were rude to her first. Like she thinks everything is because she was racist or is because they're racist. And that's no way to live your life. If you're a minority, it's just not everybody is racist and that's not, it's just not healthy. But I also wanna say, if you aren't looking, you won't find it. I've also had a lot of conversations with people uh, recently, specifically, honestly, white people from the suburbs that don't think racism is an issue at all because they've never experienced it and they've never seen it firsthand. So I do wanna challenge you, if you think it's not a problem at all and you've never seen it, then look a little bit harder maybe expand your circle of influence a little bit, talk to some people, um, and you'll see that, that there is some out there, right? Um, not gonna spend any more time on that. The third point is, all right, it is out there somewhere. It is out there, so I, I like to say this. I like to start every conversation that I have with people by saying that um, America is on this timeline, this scale, um, somewhere on the scale. We can debate where on the scale we are, but we're somewhere from slavery to no racist people at all. We're somewhere in the middle, right? We can argue with where we are on that, but we're, there's no question slavery was bad, right? And that, that we did that in America. Um, we know that there's been progression. We know that, you know, literally there were laws in place, segregation in place that Martin Luther King marched for. We know we've gotten past those laws. We know but we know that, that we're not all the way there. We know there are still racist people. So we can start to have the conversation as long as we agree there's just somewhere on the scale. Where on the scale we are, we can talk about that, but we are on this scale. We're not all the way over here and we're definitely not all the way here. All right, 
Still doing the introduction, right? All right. The, since we're in church, I'm going to use the Bible. Right? You think that's a good thing? Um, just to be very clear, um, I'm just going to give a few verses on what the Bible says about this topic. First one is, we're going to start, in the, they're a little out of order from what I gave you, but Genesis 1:27 is the first one. Figured we'll start in the beginning, right? So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. So the Bible says we are all created in the image of God. Every person you see, right, we're all different sizes, we're different colors, different genders. We're all created in the image of God. doesn't matter what you look like. If you're a human being, you're created in the image of God. Um, and then let's go to the end of the Bible. So the whole Bible talks about this, right? The end of the Bible in Revelation 7, 9 says, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne of the Lamb. So here's the end. This is God's perfect church at the end of all of it. And it's got every nation, tribe, people, and tongues. That is God's vision for mankind. Everyone together in these white robes, worshiping God. All right? All right, I'm taking another drink. So keep reading that. There we go. No. Um, I want to leave this open because I think it'd be easier, but I'm like super paranoid that I'm going to just spill it on my laptop. And I'm going to kick it though. And then I'm going to get on my shoes. I can't get these shoes wet. You guys like these Kobe's? Kobe 11's? Sorry, I'm probably supposed to talk to you guys about how that's not that important, how you dress, isn't, but I love my shoes, so um, that's something that I'm still working on with God. All right, Luke 10, 27. You guys are probably familiar with this one, too. Uh, so he answered and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And then if you jump to verse 29... So then, so this is the guy asking, how can I get to heaven? He tells Jesus, These are, this is what I'm supposed to do, right? Jesus says, yeah, cool. Um, and then he said, he wants to, in 29, jump ahead, he says, um, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And that's when Jesus goes into the Good Samaritan, right? You guys probably know that one or familiar with it, but it's this story of, it's your neighbor is everyone. Basically, he's telling him, this guy was trying to get off on a technicality, but like, yeah, I love my neighbors. But when he was thinking neighbors, he was like my close friends, right? Jesus is saying, no, 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 everybody's your neighbor, right? I don't care if this, these are the people you sit with at school or not, they're your neighbor. Every single person on this earth, you're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself. So everyone that you come in contact with, you should love as yourself because they were made in the image of God, right? So Matthew 25, 40 Another probably familiar one, but Jesus is telling a parable. And the king will answer them, answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did to one of the least of my brethren, you did it to me. So, right, your neighbor is everyone. The least of them, the overlooked, right? Maybe the dirty, maybe the poor, maybe those that aren't treated well. Those are the least of them, whoever you want to picture. All right, I won't tell anyone who you're picturing right now when you say the least of them. I don't know. So picture whoever you think is the least of them. The way you treat them is the way you're treating Jesus. That's what he says. So if you want to talk about, is it important to, to talk about race, to 
to, to have conversations, to do something for, for those that are maybe in a worse situation or those that don't look like you or think like you or um, people that are going through something. If you think it's not important and Jesus doesn't care, you're wrong. Because just as much as, I'm not saying you guys do, but to other people, right? You can tell that to other people. Um, okay. 749, I'm going to actually get into what I'm going to talk about now. That was all just laying groundwork. You guys don't have school tomorrow, right? Okay. I'm not going to, I told myself I wasn't going to make a joke about like preaching all night because every preacher I feel like that's ever spoke has made a joke like that and it's just not funny. And then when you get up here, like something just, I don't know if it's the power of God. I don't know, Ryan, if you experience that, like just something comes over you and you just, you got these like standard preacher jokes. Like, what's the one like? I'm going to read out of the Amplified, so sorry if it's a little loud. You guys have heard that one? No? See, the whole new generation, I got, a, I, got a, I got all sorts of stuff, that jokes that I grew up on that are... Oh, I'm glad it's dark and I can't see my wife probably making a face at me right now. She's got a mask on anyways. Um, all right, so the first point is the power of your story. You can't argue with someone's experiences. You can argue facts and data and numbers all you want, but how someone experiences life is their reality, okay? I use this, I've used this example when I talk to people about this. Um, I have an older brother. He's two years older than me. And when we were kids, he used to punch me, just like in the arm, not like in the face. But he would punch me, and I would say, ow, that hurts. And he'd be like, no, it didn't. I didn't hit you that hard. I'm like, you can't tell me how I feel. I'm hurt right now. Like, yeah, amen. Little brothers know what I'm talking about. Like, that's, that's how I feel. And so understand how um, when, you know, minorities, I, I generally speak black-white because that's what I know. That's what I've experienced. But, um, you know, with what the Asian community just went through, like, not that long ago, just a couple weeks ago, if it was even that long, um, if somebody is hurt by that or somebody is going through something, their pain is real, okay? Um, so understand that. And then I got to go quick, but I am going to share my story a little bit so you guys, because your experiences shape you, and so your perspective is going to be based on what you've seen, what you've experienced. So like I said, I'm half black, my mom's black, my dad's white. So when I grew up, um, I didn't know much, I didn't understand much about that. I knew that on Christmas Eve, I got black G.I. Joes on Christmas Day, I got white G.I. Joes. I knew that Santa and Jesus were black on Christmas Eve, they were white on Christmas Day, because on Christmas Eve, we went to my mom's side. And on Christmas Day, we went to my dad's side. So that's, I didn't really know what that meant, but that's kind of my life growing up, growing up half black. And I know that my dad was lighter than me and my mom was darker than me. And we, all of us kids were somewhere in the middle, right? We're all humans. We're all, we have different skin color, right? But there's, it's not like there's these people over here and these people over here, it's, it's we're all shades in between. And I understood that at an early age because that's what my family was. I have cousins that are all black. I have cousins that are all white. And that's just on the same side of the family. Like, that's the way I grew up. Um, one stat I am going to give, one number is humans share over 99.5% of all DNA, of DNA. All humans share that. So every person in this room, every person in the world, we're 99.5% the same. There's less than 1% that makes up Everything from your hair color, your eye color, your height, your build, everything in that 1%. So how important really is the amount of pigment in your skin? How, how, how different can you really be 
just because you're a little bit darker. Even when that changes in the summer, right? If I had to come up here in the summer, right now it's the end of Minnesota winter, so I'm pretty light. If I came up here in August or September, you guys would probably know right away that I was black. But it's hard to tell. In Minnesota winters, we don't see the sun. Um, some key moments in my life when regarding race. When I was five years old was the first time I heard the N-word. Um, a, an older kid on the playground, I was had Cabbage Patch doll. I mean, a cool action figure that was black. And this kid comes up to me and he goes, what are you doing with that N-word doll? And I honestly didn't really know what it meant. I didn't really understand it. Um, talked to my mom about it and she said something to the effect of, people are gonna hate, people are gonna be ignorant and hateful. You just gotta, you can't let that ruin your life. You can't let people keep you down. Um, when I was in junior high, it was really cool to get frosted tips. Anybody know what that is? Yeah. Right? It was really cool. All my white friends had it. And I asked my mom if I could get it too. And she goes, you know, you're black, right? Like that, that doesn't work. So another me trying to figure out race. Um, I get the question all the time, what are you? Actually, my, my roommate in college, freshman year. So it was halfway through first semester. We're talking about something in the cafeteria. And somehow it comes up that my mom's black. And he stands up in the cafeteria and loudly shouts, that's what you are. I've been trying to figure out this whole time. This was like months into the year. And this is my roommate. So like he slept like right next to me. Like we knew each other. We had plenty of conversations. And he like, the whole time was wondering what I was. Um, I get that question a lot. Um, when I was also in college, a buddy of mine, he was black. We were playing Madden. He invited his friend over who was also black. Introduced me as this is Josh. He's half black, so he can say the N-word. He won't, but just so you know, he can. So like that is that whole like defining like I got to I gotta tell people I'm black and then that idea of like, which is a whole other conversation about the N-word that we'll have to have another time. But that idea of like, oh, he can say it because he's black, but I got to tell you that he's black first. Because if he just says it, then you're gonna, there's going to be a problem. Um, and then I had a couple of um, girls in college that one said she couldn't date me because her, she couldn't, she's not racist, but her parents wouldn't let me come home. And then I had another girl tell me, we were having a conversation, she said, yeah, but you're not that black. And so I had this, this is my life, like dealing with, I'm too black for some people and not black enough for others. Um, so that's kind of my story. It's a whole nother, again, longer conversation about what it means to be black and the way you dress, your music, the way you talk. People want to label you, so just real quick, don't let anybody else label you, regardless of the color of your skin, regardless of whatever it is. Don't let people label, don't let anybody else try to tell you um, who you are and who God created you to be. But so I do want to encourage you in this real quick. Take the time to write down your story. You all have a story. You all have something. Take the time to think about um, what God has done in your life, what you want God to do, what you've been through, maybe what God's kept you from, um, where you grew up, what experiences have shaped your life. I think it's important to have that story ready to go in case somebody does want to have a conversation with you. Um, and so I think, I think your story is powerful and it probably will help you identify some of the things that you think, not just regarding race, but just in life, some of the ways you think and feel um, when you discover your story and really take the time, you'll find out a lot of stuff. So I'm, I'm a huge believer in the power of a story. Um, I also think you should take the time to hear other people's stories. Try to walk in someone else's shoes. Uh, empathy is sorely lacking, uh, I feel like, in the world right now. And just that idea of trying to understand what someone else is going through. Um, if you listen to my podcast, when I had Angela and Ryan on, 
Um, Angela said one of the most profound things I've ever heard in my life. Um, probably, I mean, she says profound stuff like every other day, like nothing. They both do. If you guys don't know Ryan and Angela very well, get to know them. Um, I promise you they'll make you better people. Um, just remember that it's because of me I taught them that. Although I didn't teach Angela, so I can't take any credit for that. Um, but maybe I taught Ryan and he, no, Angela taught Ryan everything. So actually she's the one that should get credit for it. But we're talking about this idea of her being married to a black man and her kids be, will, will be black when they have kids. Um, she talked about the proximity to pain and she said, I want to get as close as I can. She's like, I know I'll never, I know, I know I'll never truly understand, but I want to get as close as I can so I can help him lift that burden because it's heavy. Um, and that was like, wow, like that's powerful. And I'm not, obviously in this instance, we're talking black and white, but, but I'm talking in everything, right? Like, yes, race, but in other conversations too, understand that everybody has a story. Everybody's been through stuff, right? I talked about the cashier at Target might've been rude to you. It might just have been because they had a bad day. So how do you respond? Are you making their day worse? Or are you going to make their day better? Um, and honestly, part of these conversations, um, police officers, it's tough to be a cop. I understand, like, it's a really tough job, and I'm not trying to justify anyone's actions, but try to, try to think what it's like to be them and to go through what they go through, and not, not that it excuses anything, but at least try to understand where people are coming from. Like, we, we can have different, different opinions on a lot of different stuff, on policies, on religion or whatever, but, but first see people and understand that these are real people going through real stuff. Actually, my college roommate that was on my podcast, who's, I said, half Puerto Rican, half Guatemalan, um, actually just recently spent a couple weeks down at the border. It was a couple years ago. It was right as that caravan was coming to cross the border. And he spent a couple weeks down there with his work, like working with the families that would, um, ICE would just drop them off and they would kind of take them in, give them food, give them shelter, that kind of stuff. And he said it, it just really changed his perspective because he saw them as people. And not that, not that we don't know that they're people, but it's one thing for us to have a conversation over here, right? How many, you know, thousands of miles are we from the border? It's one thing for us to have a conversation here. But to, and I'm not saying, again, policy one way or the other. I'm just trying to say, see them as people first. See everyone as people first, right? Because every person was created in the image of God. And even whatever you would consider the least of them, that's what you're doing unto Jesus. So I do want to say, to help get yourself in the shoes, I'm going to give you a little homework. Sorry, I know you, a lot of you guys are on spring break, but go somewhere where you're the minority and see how it feels. Just go, just go somewhere for, go to, if you're white, go to a black church. Go to a black barbershop. Go to even just a Mexican restaurant, like, and a real one, not Chipotle. Go to like an actual Mexican restaurant. Uh, maybe even try to speak Spanish. I know if some of you guys take Spanish in high school, I took four years in high school two semesters in college, been to Mexico twice, still can't say much more than hola, and baño. Baño was an important one. I went to Mexico to know baño. means bathroom if you don't know. Um, Donde esta la discoteca? I know, it, I learned that because it was a sentence that we had to learn in Spanish. I think it means, like, where's the library or something? Biblioteca. Oh, yeah. Discoteca is like a club. That's the one we used when we were, yeah. When we were spring breaking in Zacatecas, we were all about them discotecas. Just kidding. Um, so, so seriously, go on. Um, and there's this book, our pastor, that the church we went to in California, 
Pastor Miles McPherson, he wrote this book called The Third Option. In that book, he actually, like that's one of the challenges that he says to do is to go on this field trip. And he gives you like notes to take, like a worksheet to fill out um, and just kind of see how it feels. Just kind of put yourself in someone else's shoes um, just to, like I said, see how it feels, just to see if you can understand them a little bit. You're not fully gonna understand. Um, and a lot of people he talked about in the book, a lot of people actually had great experiences and that was fine. But a lot of people said it was a little uncomfortable. And he's like, cool, you were uncomfortable for an hour. People, there's people that live like this all day, every day. Um, so just kind of, again, getting out of your comfort zone, trying to see how other people live and get in their world a little bit. This book, The Third Option by Miles McPherson, um, phenomenal book, um, highly recommend it. I love just the title of it. So I have a verse, Joshua 5, I think I have 13 and 14 up there. Um, but this is where I got the title from it, and it's, it's when Joshua is going to go around, going to fight, Jer- going to take Jericho. And the angel of the Lord comes to him and he says, are you on our side or our enemies? And he says, no. If I was Joshua, I'd be like, well, I am Joshua. But if I was that Joshua, I'd be like, I didn't ask you a yes or no question. Like there's two options here. You can't just say no. But he says, no, as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. So he called this the third option because most of us, and he wrote this book um, before, like two years before George Floyd, George Floyd and Minneapolis burned down and, and all of the issues that we've had. Like he wrote this book um, because God told him, and there's other stuff obviously, but, but God told him to have, and he had this book ready when people were really looking for it the last year. And, but he called it the third option because in all of these conversations, people look at it as us versus them. And whatever camp you find yourself in, you think I'm here and these people are over here. But what he's saying is there's a third option and that's the Lord's side. And I think a lot of us try to put us versus them. And God's saying, and this is, this is, this angel is talking to the children of Israel. God's chosen people, the people he just freed from Egypt. You, right? When I read the Bible, I'm like, that's God's side, right? The Israelites, like that's no question. He says, I'm not on your side. You can be on my side if you want, but I'm on God's side. So it's that third option. I just love that title. The book's phenomenal. One thing I want to point out from the group is another real practical thing is in-group bias. We all have in-groups and out-groups. I hate, I don't know if you guys have in high school at your age or whatever, if you've been to any like diversity training or anything, or had conversations where people come in and just say right away, if you're white, you're racist. And I'm like, first of all, no, they're not racist. Not every white person is racist. Second of all, even if you think that's true, how are they going to listen to anything you have to say after that? You just offended them. You just upset them. They're not going to listen to you. But I love this idea of in-group bias. I don't love it because it's, but this made so much sense to me. And he's saying everybody has in-groups and everybody has out-groups. Pastor Miles uh, used to play for the San Diego Chargers football player. And he was working out with this professional hockey player came in. And he said, immediately, we had a conversation because we had something in common. We were both professional athletes, right? They're in an in-group of professional athletes, a very exclusive in-group. Um, not a lot of people get in that, but they were both in it. But then he said, this guy started talking about hockey and Miles had no idea what he was talking about because that's his outgroup. So he had an even more exclusive in-group of football players, professional football players versus professional hockey players. And that made so much sense to me. Sorry, this is my second sports reference. I said I only had one. But that made sense to me because I get that because I understand that language. For me, an example that hopefully you guys can understand, even if you're not a sports fan, I'm a Vikings fan. 
So that's my in-group. If I see another Vikings fan, any Vikings fans in here? Yes, thank you. I love you guys. If you're a Vikings fan, we're friends. We get along. When we lived in San Diego, if I saw another person wearing a Vikings jersey or hat, we were friends. I said hi, and I'm not even an outgoing person. But I said hi because I'm like, that's awesome. You're a Vikings fan. But if somebody walks in with a Packers jersey on, I don't like you. I'm sorry. I'm still working on that. God is healing some things in my heart. But automatically some stuff pops up in my head and I'm like, I don't like that person. If they're a Vikings fan, automatically I like them. A Packers fan, sorry, that's my out group. I got to work on the love of God to help them, right? But so for me, that was so easy. I'm not saying anybody in here is racist, but I'm saying we all have in-group bias and we're automatically going to feel a certain way. When I went to school down in, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, shout out to ORU, Sweet 16 run, sorry, another sports reference. Um, but ORU made the Sweet 16. Um, when I was there, I noticed that the, the black kids all kind of gravitated, gravitated towards each other, um, which left me kind of on the outside trying to figure stuff out, right? I talked about my difficulties and my issues that I got to work on, but, but it, wasn't, it wasn't like the school forced it. It wasn't even like, these are all good Christian kid, people that love God, not all of them, but you know what I mean? It was a Christian school. But you naturally, if you, if you walk in a room, and you guys probably do it here when you come in. I mean, you guys that come enough probably can find your friends right away. But if you were new here for the first time, you would probably kind of look for, maybe you look for somebody on the basketball court. You know, when there was video games, maybe you look for somebody playing a game you like. Or you, you just look for people that might, maybe you look for a Vikings jersey, right? Maybe you see someone in a Packers hat and you walk the other way. That's okay. We can pray for them still. Um, but that's just a natural thing that you're going to naturally um, be inclined to people who look like you, talk like you, think like you, act like you. And there's nothing wrong with that. But, that, but when you're aware of that, you can then make a conscious effort to then reach out to your outgroup, right? When you're here at church or in school, you're going to naturally gravitate towards people that, that might look like you, that might think like you, that are into sports like you, into music like you, into the drama like, into drama like you. Not like drama, because stay away from those people that like drama, but like the drama club, like plays and that kind of stuff. Um, but try to consciously make the effort to reach out to other people and broaden your circles a little bit and don't, don't only just talk to the people who you're comfortable with. It's going to be uncomfortable, but that's okay, right? Okay, point number four. How are we doing on time? Okay, I'm getting close. This one will be quick. Define your terms. Part of the problem in these difficult conversations is that we say the same thing, but we're actually saying something different. It's really hard to have a conversation with somebody who's speaking a different language, right? I've tried. Remember I went to Zacatecas and I don't remember any Spanish. It didn't go well when I tried to talk to somebody. I like talking to the little kids, like five and under. We knew about the same amount of Spanish. Um, so that always worked really well. But defining your terms, we can't have a conversation if we're not speaking the same language. And in a lot of these racial conversations, people aren't speaking the same language. Um, a very popular phrase, black lives matter. There are people that will argue with you when you say black lives matter, not because they don't think black lives matter, but because when they hear black lives matter, they think of a specific organization, political organization that they don't agree with. And so if I'm saying, if I'm pro the sentence black lives matter, I'm saying something different than if you say, no, I don't support that organization, right? I was having this conversation with my dad, right? Super nice white guy, married to a black woman. But 
will argue with people when they say Black Lives Matter because he thinks they're talking about that organization. And I said, and he will, so he'll, he's one of the people that will respond with, maybe I shouldn't say this out loud. Um, he's not, but I said, we're talking about Black Lives Matter. And I, I said, you don't need to respond to that. You don't need to say Blue Lives Matter. You don't need to say All Lives Matter because if you think All Lives Matter, then you agree that Black Lives Matter, right? He said, well, then I should just say, duh. I said, yes, yeah, say duh. Somebody says Black Lives Matter, say duh. Of course they do, right? We should all agree that Black Lives Matter. You don't have to support the organization. You don't even have to agree with, with the marches. Or anything. If, if you don't argue with Black Lives Matter, at least understand what you're talking about if you're having a conversation with somebody, right? Define those terms. Um, another big one is systemic racism versus systematic racism. I actually didn't know that they were really two different things. I think a lot of people say one thing when they mean the other. Um, but I looked this up and the definitions that I found that made sense were systematic racism is actual systems and laws in place. That's what Martin Luther King was fighting against, right? Segregation where it's like literally separate bathrooms, separate restaurants, separate schools, separate, like literally there were laws in place to keep people segregated. Um, those laws have changed, right? At least those specific ones that Martin Luther King was marching for. Systemic racism is the lingering results of those systems and laws. So then if you want to have a conversation about how much does the results of that linger, then we can talk about it. But we have to define that first, because if I say systemic racism and you think I'm talking about actual laws in place like segregation, then of course we're going to have a difference of opinion and we're going to fight about it because those laws, at least those specific ones, were overturned, right? Um, another one is white privilege is a trigger word for a lot of people. Um, and honestly, in my house growing up, it was basically a curse word. Um, like I said, my mom was black. My dad was white. My mom had way more privilege than my dad. My mom was way set up better for success. She came from a two-parent home. She went to um, a really nice, expensive Catholic school, um, graduated from four-year university. Uh, my dad was from a broken home. Uh, we're not as privileged. Went to public schools. Went to, you know, didn't go to a four-year university. So for us, it was like... It, but it's not about that. And this is why you have to have these conversations because you have to define what you mean because if you mean financial privilege, that's not, that's not straight black and white, right? Not all black people have, more, have less money than all white people. Um, I look at it, and somebody said this actually at a church I was at in California. He said, privilege is a spectrum. So there are a lot of things in your life that can have you better set up for success than other people or set up less for success. It could be the color of your skin could be your family name, it could be where you were born, the city you were in. There's a lot of different stuff that, that could affect how much privilege you have in life and how set up for success you are, right? Joe Buck is an announcer. Sorry, another sports reference. Um, but he's a sports announcer. His dad, Jack Buck, is one of the, the most famous, greatest sports announcers of all time. Joe Buck got the job because of his dad, okay? I'm just saying, your name can make a difference. It, it can have an impact. So there is definitely privilege in this world, but that idea of, of if you're white, you're automatically set up better for success, it's not necessarily true across the board. And so um, I think there, you just have to have the conversation and not just throw out words and assume everybody knows what you're talking about because people define stuff differently. So I'm not even saying you have to necessarily agree with my definitions on any of this stuff or even what I'm saying, but just when you have a conversation with somebody, um, identify your terms, define your terms first. The last point that I'm gonna make is directly from the mouth of Ryan Watkins. I've heard him say this before, and I love, 
the way that he put this, and now it's a little intimidating. I didn't know he was going to be in the room while I said this, so hopefully I get it right. Um, I guess you could always come up here and correct me if you wanted to, but uh, he said he sees three types of racism in the world. The first one is evil hatred. That's usually, or that's often what people assume when you say the word racism, you assume of that. Like, it's evil, it's, um, I hate these people just because of the color of their skin. Um, And I actually think that's the least common one that we have in the world right now. Definitely there's some of that that still exists. Um, The second one is fear. Um, The example he used was Philando Castile, another black man that was shot um, here in our own backyard. But the officer that shot him, you could hear in his voice that he was afraid. Castile told him he had a gun on him that he, was, he could legally carry, and you could hear the fear in his voice. And that's, I think, you see a lot of that where um, my cousin, who's, who's full black, is like 6'5". He's probably like, he might be like 280 now. He's, he's older, so he's gotten bigger. But he was a tight end in, in high school and in college, a big dude. Um, he, got in, he got drunk and got in fights, and um, he's the one that got in trouble. Whether it was his fault or not, I don't know. I wasn't there, but he's a big black man, and people are going to, might be afraid of him. Just, just him walking, he's a big teddy bear, but just him walking in a room, people might be afraid of him. So that's another fear. And the, the point of defining these three types is that your response looks different, right? Depending on, on what this is. The last one is ignorance. And I think that's the most common. That's when, uh, especially like, I feel like around here, a lot of people that are like, I'm not racist, but... And they say stuff like black people, all black people look alike. Or um, I found out recently that a trigger for me is you're so articulate. Not that I get that a lot, but I had a friend who was saying that people tell him that all the time. And that like to tell a black man that he's articulate makes it sound like you're surprised that he should be, that he shouldn't be articulate. Um, So that's one that like, it's just ignorance. Like don't say that. Um, Calling people an Oreo is another one that is like, People don't necessarily mean something bad by it, um, but it can be offensive. And it's just a matter of having that conversation, especially in this one, it's having that conversation. Um, And how both people respond to that conversation is huge. Don't get offended. Let's just talk about it. Let's learn and grow. And honestly, that's kind of what all of this comes down to, is your response to things, taking the time to learn and grow and get to know people. Um, I I mentioned earlier when I came out here that worship was, was going, and we don't often take the time. We just want to go on to the next thing, right? We just want to go on to the next thing, and it's, we want quick answers. We want easy answers. We don't want to actually take the time to get to know people and have these conversations. So I put a lot of stuff out there, um, but I do want to leave you guys with this. 1 Corinthians 16, 14. Um, in the NIV version, it just says, do everything in love. And I know that sometimes the Bible can be complicated and confusing and like trying to figure out like the context of like what this means and like, but what was going on in the time and what era and, and all this different, what does this word mean in the Greek and the Hebrew? This, this is pretty clear to me. Do everything in love. And I, and I read the whole verse, the whole chapter, the context doesn't change. Do everything in love. And so that's the main takeaway. If you, if you hear anything from what I'm saying today, when having the race conversation with anyone, do it in love. Wherever you, whatever you talk about, and, and not just this, but in everything, love should be the underlying thing. I talked about, you know, policies and procedures and, and laws and right and wrong and all of that, and all of that's important. 
but it's gotta come from the place of love first. You have to see people and understand who they are and love them for who they are first. And I just think it has to start with love. Any conversation you have, any conversation specifically about race and everything you do has to start with love.